You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi everyone, this is Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. As you know, this is the place where we talk about all those things that help us bust through our limiting labels and beliefs so that we can live a no labels, no limits, and no excuses lifestyle. Today, our guest is Stacy Termel. Now, this is going to be a tough little background to read because Stacy is kind of all over the place. She is the CEO and managing director of the Internet is for Everyone LLC. And that's a web accessibility compliance company that offers website, mobile app accessibility compliance evaluation, along with legal case analysis and expert witness consulting. So as you might know, or guess from that is she's an attorney and she is also a digital accessibility expert. She's frequently asked to serve in that role as a consultant and subject matter expert for digital product design and development. Um, And as you know, the more time we spend on our digital gadgets, the more important it is for it to be accessible to everyone. Um, And what I really love about Stacy is her dedication to helping female business owners and entrepreneurs make things happen that they never thought would be possible. So today today, in addition to just learning more about her journey, we're actually going to dig into one of her passions and focuses, and that's on working with professional women to help them to continue to reinvent themselves. Pick me, pick me. I think reinvention is an ongoing exploration. And just in a little bit of pre-chat, Stacy brings a lot of insight that I think you're going to love. Um, so let's just get to it. I want to welcome you to the podcast, Stacy. It's really great to finally have you on the show. Thank you, Sarah. It's really great to be here. I really appreciate the invite. So I like to start by always by asking our guests kind of a similar question, a little bit different from each person's perspective, but is there something that you do daily that keeps you focused on your own dreams and goals? I would say, uh, yes. So every day at the end of the day, what I do is I write a to-do list for what I want to get done the next day. And it accomplishes two goals for me. One is as things are flowing through my head at sometimes a ridiculous pace, I can just write them down. And the second is I feel like that clears my mind because I know I've written it down. And so I just leave like one of those small notepads out that I write it for the next day. And then that's what I'm looking at taking care of. I try to do it in order of priority if possible, but if something just randomly pops in my head, I go in there, even if it's like at 1030 at night, you know, right before I'm going to bed, I go in there and write it down. So it clears my mind. So I'm not like running it over and over in my mind while I'm supposed to be trying to sleep. 
Well, and so. then you don't wake up the next morning going, what was I supposed to remember? Right. And then you're exactly. spending time racking your brain about that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. let me just ask you to back up a little bit and share a little bit of your background and what led you first into becoming an attorney and then to creating your company. Well, I've been an attorney for 27 years. And the reason why I wanted to go to law school uh, at the time when I was younger was I wanted to have unending learning opportunities. And at the time being a scrappy uh, 22-year-old, I also wanted to have unending earning opportunities. I just did not want to have any limits whatsoever. And I wanted to be able to just have like the sky is wide open, you know, for whatever I wanted to pursue. And so I've had the opportunity over the past 27 years to practice many different areas of the law, still primarily in the area of, of litigation. And I've also had the opportunity to work in higher education administration. And um, it was in higher education administration that I had the opportunity to work with a blind law student, which basically served as the, the springboard into, you know, evaluating and just and just investigating how blind people use the internet because I was pretty, pretty ignorant. Just to be candid, I was pretty ignorant at the time. Um, so that that's what allowed me to do that. And then with an onslaught of litigation that was going on uh, in the area with businesses being sued left and right on something new called ADA website accessibility, it just really caught my attention because I was surprised that we weren't using blind people to test websites as a potential source of employment opportunity for them um, when we're using blind people to sue companies because of inaccessible websites. So that's kind of what brought it to the forefront of, of my mind, that particular area. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you actually started basically you asked the question, why weren't we using blind people to test them? But you actually, that was your hired crew, right? Those were your experts that helped you test. Yeah. Now, and that's what I did. I, I, um, I, I met with my, that law student that I told you about who's since graduated law school. And cause I was just amazed at her. Uh, she, she was just a tech whiz and I'm just in awe of her skills and abilities. And so I asked her if she ever had tested any websites and if she saw value in that. And she was like, yeah, really? You'd be interested in something like that? And I was like, I think it's what we need to do. I mean, um, it's the whole point is to make it more accessible. So why wouldn't we listen to you who's the one experiencing the inaccessibility and how we can make it better? It's hard to... Um... If you're not in that position like she is, you don't know. Like you might say, oh, this is the issue. And she would say, oh, that's really not an issue. This is the issue. So so that sounds like that might have been really innovative when you first started doing that. It was innovative um, to the point of being uh, um, ignored. And what, what I mean? mean by what I mean by that is um you know, there, there is a certain extent, a certain population in corporate America that takes the mindset of 
la 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 we don't want to focus on that you know i don't want to know that this is a problem um i don't want to deal with that and then there's also you know just the general stigmatism um that goes you know that is applied to people with disabilities in general i mean i remember uh when my colleague she said to me stacy people with disabilities are treated similarly to people who are felons nobody wants to come near them and nobody wants to talk to them and i was just like really struck by that i was like our what you know and it's just really it's a fear-based response sarah because they're different, right? So you're not sure how to interact with them, not sure how to talk, you know, and it just, it just comes from, it's new and different. And so if you think about it, you know, the more time that you spend with somebody who might be perceived as different, the more that you get comfortable with them and the more that you get comfortable with them, you know, that fear subsides and then you're just able to, to interact. So, you know, people with disabilities are different. And so that's why they're generally kind of shunned to a certain extent. So, How did that experience change you personally, Stacy? What can you look and go just because of this period of time, I am different in this way? Oh, I would say that, you know, I look at everything now as, you know, what would it be like to be in those shoes? So from just uh, an empathy standpoint, um, and then, you know, uh, selfishly to myself, I'm thankful for all of the abilities I do have because to a certain extent, I don't know if I'd be a strong enough person to be able to navigate my life without the abilities that I do have. Um, and, and so, you know, for that, I'm, I am, I am greatly uh, appreciative. Um, it also makes me look at so many different things, especially like I can't help but look at a website now to determine whether or not it's accessible. I look at emails that come out to determine whether they're accessible and think about you know, like my, my colleague, she can't, she can't use a mouse, right? She's blind. She can't use a mouse. She wouldn't know where the mouse is, Sarah. I mean, it's not helpful. So she's got to navigate everything she does using a keyboard. So if you think about that and just, you know, the next time you go to a website, try to go wander through with a keyboard, it seems like a very daunting task. And that's something that she has to do on a regular basis. And, and she's, she's a whiz at it. Um, so I just look for, I look at things from that lens. And then I also, you know, I think we, we tend to look at things like we hear something like, for example, oh, you know, um, certain transportation agents are now offering uh, services to people who have pets, you know, which is, which is great if you are somebody with a service animal. That's what we think about in theory. But what's the reality of that? So I guess it's really helped me bridge those two. What's the reality of that? How many how many, how many drivers out there are willing to pick somebody up with a big dog, you know, that are trying to make driving quick and fast and they make money based on how fast they can turn around to ride. And the reality is that not many, you know, I, so I think about that. Great. Yeah. Like when I work with business and then they say, our goal is to increase access to, and I said, uh, there's no point of increasing access. Your goal is to increase usage because of that, you know, the access is a how, like we're going to, and because of that very thing, Stacey's like, oh, we're going to increase access for people with dogs. So what, how many routes do you have those drivers on? Do they right. go out to the more rural areas? Right. You know, all of that stuff, but it does, you can't unsee, no pun intended, but you can't unsee once you've been taught something, you're thinking, wow, that doesn't, 
that doesn't get you there from here. So, right. So it's just, I think, you know, and as a lawyer, especially being a litigator, um, you know, we're inherent in that skill set is the ability to break things down into tiny little pieces. I mean, that's sometimes how we can win something is by looking at a tiny little piece that may or may not be, uh, you know, salient for a particular case. And so it's just how I look at the world in little pieces. And so when I look at somebody's experience, you know, it just puts me in a position of breaking it down into smaller pieces and just getting a sense of, you know, what is her experience like to get to, to understand just for purposes of just for purposes of having an idea on what she is living through to try to bridge the gap between businesses and organizations that are struggling with that accessibility requirement and getting them up to speed. So I guess what you, what you could say I, I'm doing is I'm taking a backdoor approach of promoting accessibility through helping businesses understand where their risks are. And at the same time, I'm you know, counseling them on the fact that you know, compliance is always going to win the day over a defense position in a very expensive court case. Before I shift gears, I want to ask you one other question about this particular area of your work, because I want to flip it and think about it from a larger business perspective. And what are the initial reluctancies to make changes? Is it, I, think when, I mean, there's compliance, right, is required, but yeah. beyond that, like at a personal or leadership level, what tend to be the reluctancies? I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions out there. You know, I'll, I'll see articles that are written in many different platforms um, that'll say website compliance will cost you half a million dollars. That's not true, you know, um, or, you know, these quick fix um, organizations out there that are just, you know, capitalizing on the ignorance, which is for $49 a month, I can, you know, make your website accessible. You know, that doesn't work. You have to you have to bake accessibility in. So it's it's this wide sweeping range of of just misunderstandings and 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 misconceptions on on what it requires. And it's you know and it's reasonable reasonable accessibility making a reasonable accommodation. And so you know I guess that's when the lawyer comes in. And so I think that's what the what the difficulty is. And also you know nobody wants to hear that the work that they did is not correct, right? I mean, that's generally not a good conversation. So to have a conversation with somebody who just built the most beautiful website or what they believe is the most beautiful website in the world, and they just did it. And then to tell them that it's not accessible, they're, you know, that's a difficult conversation to have um, because they could have poured their heart and soul into it. And, 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 I, and I get it, you know, um, that's, that's really frustrating, but, you know, it's going to be even more frustrating when you're paying $25,000 for an initial retainer to an attorney because you've been slapped with an accessibility lawsuit. Yes, perception and then getting it done. Better information is always good. And yeah. you're correct. Once you pour your heart and soul into something, you want to at least have it live for a little while before someone says, no good. You got to fix it. Can it live for a month, please? I just want to see it. <laughs> just, can I just enjoy it? Can I just look just, at just it? Just for the moment. Yeah, for just I'll a take month. Take some recordings of I it. I get it. 
I know, but I think, but that's, and that's the conversation I'm sure you have to have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what has led you um, down your path and specifically what I'm thinking about, you know, in a previous conversation, you said to me that you feel like you're living your life backward. Why do you say that? I feel like I'm living my life backwards because the things that I appreciate now are things that I had an opportunity to appreciate as a younger person. Um, I think I made mention to you about, you know, as a young kid in, in, in college and law school, I was just looking to check a box, you know, whatever was going to get me done the fastest and out the door and moving on to what's next. Um, because that's what I was focusing on. What was next? Like I had a carrot dangling over my head, um, but it was actually attached to me. So every time I moved, so did the carrot. So I was never catching it because there was always a what's next. Um, but in a, you know, just like a, just a compulsive manner, not really paying attention to what was going on now. And just over the past, I'd say 10, 10 years of my life, just learning that it's not really checking a box isn't really what's giving me joy in my life. It's, you know, being a lifelong learner. So that's why I say living my life backwards. I'm, you know, going back and, and, and learning and spending time on things that I fully had access to as a younger person, but now I'm just doing it with more appreciation. And I'm also doing it uh, with more interest and, um, and more focus. And it's being done because I want to gain the knowledge, not because I'm looking at basically checking off a form. So I think to that extent, it's just, you know, all of the things that I've learned throughout that journey have put me to the place where I am now, which is to spend the time to gain the knowledge. And I just want to keep learning. And so I think that's why I've had the opportunity to do so many things that I've done in my life, both as an attorney, um, just also in other industries, because I've been willing to keep learning. Random question, which I'm known for. Um, have you taken any personality typing tests? Um, so for instance, like Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Strength Finders? I've done DISC, uh, and so I was... I was, I fell on the, is it the, like a double driver is what, uh, is, is how I was characterized. Um, so, so I, I've had that. And then, um, and then with some of the other personality testing that I've had, it's more of uh, just falling into what has been called like an enigma category is very driven, but also um, very in tune, like a great ability to read the room, if you will. Yep. Just curious, because because I would have some predictions, which I'm not going to share with you in case you taste take any of the others. But if you do take them, circle back. I want to know how they come. Okay. Out. All right. Because I Part have two. some predictions, which I would write down in my book, and then you could say, "What did you think?" Okay. So, um, so you know, you talk about living your life backwards in the carrot and that that pursuit is kind of like a fallacy you never catch it you just keep moving it ahead of you so how have that mix of business activities and learning 
how have they helped you feel fulfilled in your life? Oh, I don't know if I completely feel fulfilled right now. I think um, for me that that is probably going to be a, a permanent goal. You know, you asked me about my goals and I would, I would say that, that that would be a permanent goal is to um, continue to pay attention to, you know, what I have going on now and appreciating, you know, the different nuances of whatever that experience might be. Um, I think it's, it's a lofty goal. Uh, you know, I try to think about, um, I'd like to get something from every experience that I have, whether it's good or bad. And, you know, and that sounds really great in theory when you and I are having a wonderful conversation and, and I, I'm, in, I'm enjoying, you know, this interaction. But, you know, if, if I were to have an interaction with somebody who's, you know, just maybe, I don't know, it doesn't go well. I don't know initially if my response would be, what was the benefit of that interaction? You know, I think that wouldn't be your first go-to. I don't think it would be. I don't think I'm as evolved. <laughs> so I would have no, to my say goal that. is just to make that question closer and closer to those events, right? Like it might yeah. instead of a month away or a week away, just go maybe even the next day, like, wow, what was that all about? Right. Yeah. And just putting it into perspective, right? And not um taking responsibility for other people's issues, you know, which is yeah, something yeah. that. I think uh, professional overachieving women like to do because our hope is that if we keep trying harder, we can fix it all. And that's not realistic. We can't. So. I think I'm done. <laughs> then. I can't do it. No, I, you know, what's so funny is when, and this is what I love about the podcast and having the opportunity to meet and talk with so many brilliant women is that that is a common conversation we have, whether it's on air or not is like, you know, that striving all it gets you is practice striving. You yes. Know? You just keep evolving and learning. But I'm super curious about your, your focus on the women professionals who continue to reinvent themselves. Can you talk about that? Like, what do you do around that? What's your focus on that? What's your hope with that? I think um, my focus on that is, you know, anytime I'm interacting with any other women colleagues, um, you know, for whatever reason, I tend to just zero in, especially if, you know, they're having a difficult time on making sure that they understand that there are options. So looking at creative resolutions to difficult situations, um, you know, something that I've had the opportunity to spend time with, with colleagues. I mean, I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my mid fifties and I'd be lying if I said that I had friends and colleagues who, haven't had difficulty, you know, moving to a different career or job, you know, um, it's something that, that has been, you know, very difficult and a struggle, something that, you know, I've personally experienced. And so, you know, whenever I'm interacting with a colleague, friend, or, 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 or coaching client, my goal is to let them see that there are other options for them. Um, it might not necessarily be the option that they had originally planned on. It might not necessarily be part of their master plan, but that if they could just take a step back, let's reframe this and look at this as an opportunity to explore other options that might be, you know, a, a better fit for them, you know, trying to look at failure as, or whatever their perception of failure is, because I, I don't believe in it as an opportunity for reinvention and an opportunity to pivot 
and to take advantage of something that might actually work out so much better than what they had originally put together. So I like to dig through that. When you're having conversations with your clients and your coaching folks around that, Stacy, is there an initial reluctance to want to let go of what they're holding on to? Like this is no, no, I need to do X. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that that goes to, you know, anytime that there's change, right. There's, there's actually, um, there's a grieving process that goes with change. My, my dad is a, is a psychologist and, and so he, he writes about grief and loss and he and I have had many spirited conversations about, you know, I, I share with him that grief and loss is actually part of business, you know, and that if some of the psychological principles surrounding grief and loss that he talks about were employed, you know, in, in business, which I think can be extrapolated to, um, you know, entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, you know, or just really anybody personally down to a, a granular level, you know, grief and loss is all about it. So, right, there's the initial stage of denial, right? I don't want to let this go. And then there's anger. Why do I have to let this go? And then there's sadness, like, crap, I really have to let this go, you know? Um, and then you hope that the healing process takes place to, to be able to see beyond that and hopefully not get stuck in any of those one areas. But you know, are people able to pivot super easily? No. And I think a, a, another reason for that is because, you know, women generally just in, in my experience from, the, from the, the litigation work that I've done and also just from the interactions that I've had, you know, we tend to spend a lot of time analyzing and paying attention to details and really doing a lot of research and due diligence to, um, you know, find something that we really like and then become very invested in it. It's usually not like a skimming the surface type situation. So when you have somebody who's really invested in something, it would be, of course, incredibly difficult to have them, you know, they're just not going to necessarily go, okay, yeah, I'll let that go. You know, like a light switch. Well, there is that, um, the whole sunk cost of time, yes. emotional energy, all of that. And I'm trying to remember, there was a really good study on that, like, but it ties back to like, we think our used stuff is so worth so much more than anybody would give for it. And I love the reframing when someone says, no, you have to think like you've never done this and now you're going to buy it. What would you pay for it? Well, I'd pay three bucks for that right. mug. And the person selling goes, no, this is very special. It's a $10 mug. Keep it, right? So yeah. but part of it is, yeah. we're, you're right. It's that investment. I've sunk so much time and energy and perhaps right. even a bit of my investment my sense of self, yes. right? Because yes. for me, in the whole pivoting piece of it, it has become easier as I've let go and not identified as deeply with a role, right? Like, who am I as a person versus who am I in a function? And that has, that's not like something you flip a light switch, that takes inner work, conversations, no. right? which is why coaching is so valuable, right? To have someone ask you and help you think like, well, I've got some bad assumptions here, right? And right. yes, I am grieving. So that's powerful. What, so what are you seeing with folks who are able to do that? Like, is there something like that just happens for them that makes you even that much more committed to the work? 
I think for me, it's, um, and, and I think that this comes from just my background as a litigator, you know, one of the things that we have to do uh, in litigation is we have to be able to look at what's not just around the corner, but what's around the corner, down the bend, and like five miles from now, um, in order to try to make the best strategic decisions possible. And so one of the things that I find to be really helpful is having a conversation with people on, okay, well, let's follow that through to its logical conclusion, you know, and just kind of like walking through. So then what would happen after that? What would happen after that? And then backing it up into, well, what about this particular direction? You know, what do you think that could provide for you? And, you know, depending on what people's attachments are, because we all come to the table with different baggage and experiences, right? Depending on what people's attachments are, some people might need to hear, you know, that, oh, okay, so I can limit my, my risk here, like limit my losses, and I can actually look at this, and this will create such a greater opportunity. So why would I want to spend more time trying to maybe mine, you know, for a limited return when I can have much more opportunity on this other side, but they have to be able to be open to be able to see that. And so that takes some time for them to, to make that, that shift and it's, and it's not going to happen overnight. Um, so I think that is definitely a, a really, a really big help. Um, In your work, do you find that there are some common ways that female business owners and entrepreneurs tend to underestimate what they're capable of? I actually just had this conversation today at lunch. It's like, you know, both a colleague of mine, she just transitioned her practice into, into another firm. And it was just, you know, why do we always have this feeling that we need to come to the table with all of these promises and, you know, that we're going to provide to try to in some way demonstrate our value. And it's like, you don't need to demonstrate your value. Your value is there, but it's just bridging that gap and believing it. I mean, you know, like even to, to this day when I'm putting together presentations for different uh, continuing legal education providers, I'm going through it with a fine tooth comb, you know, and then I'm also reviewing it beforehand. I know it like the back of my hand, but, you know, I'm just, I just want to make sure I don't want to screw it up because that's important to me, you know, but I think just for professional women in general, for whatever reason, we feel like this need to compensate um, and, and, and think that we need to bring more and accept less and, and it's so dysfunctional. Um, and it, it's something that, that I think, I mean, I know it's something that, that I I'm working on, on a, on a regular basis. So, and it's recognizing that, you know, you, you have that innate value because if you don't believe you're worth it, nobody else is going to believe you're worth it. I heard a quote one time that said, um, you showing up small in the world serves no one. It's true. You know, and it's just from the different conversations that I've had with people where they're just like, well, you know, I don't want to overdo it too much. Like, why not? Why, why, why not? I mean, you're an expert in your field. I mean, that's what experts do. Be you. You know, don't Seems play kind of crazy. Down. Yeah, I know. But it is. It is what it is. And that's so funny. Your example you gave on the PowerPoint or the presentation slide deck and mistakes, right? And I'm thinking it is hard 
to sit knowing that something is not perfect. And I yes. have worked where it's like, no, it has to be hundred percent perfect. Guess what? I don't know a soul. I can look at your stuff and find something. Oh, you know, I think the kerning on that spacing's off a little, Stacy. you might want to fix it. Really, Sarah, you might be the only person who will notice that. Is that necessary? Did that help Stacy in any way? I don't think so, right? That just served your need to find something. So I make myself now stop. Wow. Good oh, it's you. not easy, Stacy. Oh. I was talking to someone, just pausing in the discomfort is the exercise, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, Sarah, that's it. Hand it off. Mm -hmm. You are done. Mm -hmm. There's someone who's going to look at it and make it way better. You're not the be all end all. And, but it's also, hard. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. And I mean, what's so funny is that, you know, with the different people that I work with, you know, I'll be just like, good and out the door is always better than perfect and sitting you in know, your inbox, <laughs> you know? And so, and so I'll have that conversation, but, but there I'll be scanning my email for the third I time. I know, my God. <laughs> I've tried to teach myself to laugh. Like I will send texts and I'm sure I'm not the only one, especially if I rely on voice. Cause yeah. if I'm not like right in front of my phone and I'm like sideways to it and then I'll read whatever I'm going, are you kidding me? And half the time I'm sending it to my husband. He goes, I don't really know what this means here. <laughs> and had that been to a client, I would have been mortified, but I actually started laughing about it. Now it's like, yeah, that's like going too fast. I need to slow down. So well, I think it's also just, I mean, you know, just getting comfortable with just like taking ownership of things, right. Of like everything. So, so if, I guess, you know, my thought process has been as I'm trying to evolve myself, you know, so if that email goes out and somebody gets back to me and they're just like, you missed a comma, do I want to work with that person? I mean, if that's their <laughs> level information. of focus, you know, do I want to work with that person? And the answer is probably no. I mean, if that's if that's their decision-making level, that it's a comma, you're good, no comma, you're bad, then, you know, maybe it's time to reevaluate <laughs> what my standards are, you know, or what their standards are. Well, and so, back to your I'm original just, thing that you don't really believe in failure, right? It's information. Right. Great information. So just Good flipping it on myself and just trying to, you know, reevaluate and just being like, yeah, sorry. You know, now if, if I were to send something out to somebody with, with the wrong name, you know, not so me, good. That's, no, that's not good at all. There's I mean, that's Stacey. just careless. Yeah. Yeah. There's Stacy. Yeah. So, so what do you think in your working with women in your own exploration is the link between motivation, procrastination? and action that like where in that little triad do you see some of our problems well i think it depends on their their um their working style right um for me uh i'm very deadline driven i mean that's just that's just how i am and so i've had to learn to adapt my working style to you know those characteristics so what that means is that i build in deadlines for myself and i put them on my calendar and i write them out on my list like i was sharing with you at the beginning and that operates to create the sense of urgency in me that i need sometimes to get my head out of my rear end and get moving you know it's just as part of it and also just to um 
I also know that when I get in the flow of something, I, you know, momentum for me is huge. And so being able to create the momentum. So that is something else that just evaluating from my own working style, finding out what works for me. And so just doing uh, like reading and just gathering as much information as I can on those different things. I mean, I'm not looking at five best ways to hack your email list. I mean, that's not something that's going to resonate with me, but I am looking at, you know, what works for my personal uh, working style that's going to get me moving. And so what works for me is, you know, I know that I need to sit down because I'm a huge procrastinator, just a huge procrastinator. So I've learned that I just need to sit down and just start with something that I'd like to do. And then, you know, and so that's why when I'm building in my to-do list, I might look down at the bottom and go, yeah, all right. So, you know, taking care of number 10 might not be super like urgent, but it's something that's going to get me moving. So I'm going to take care of number 10 because I'm cool with number 10. And then that's going to get me moving. And then once I have number 10 down, then it's like, okay, I got that sense of accomplishment. And it just, you know, energizes you to keep going, you know, and, and, and build up. I know there's some schools of thought about, you know, just, um, you know, grab onto the biggest challenge first. I don't know if that's really, I mean, maybe for some people that works, um, that doesn't really work for me. I need to just kind of get in the zone and then I'm just, you know, I become like unstoppable as far as moving through stuff. I also know that on the days where I'm not very productive, I'm not feeling really great as far as, you know, I'd rather be productive and accomplish things. And I know that that feeling at the end of the day of getting things done is definitely something that continues to motivate me as far as moving forward um, to get other things done. So I think it's paying attention to different people's working styles. Mm -hmm. There are some people out there, you know, who they're just like, they're constantly going to be moving and doing things. Um, and they just kind of, they just put things in and they just get it done and they never stop. And other people, they want to just like, okay, what's the biggest challenge I can tackle first today? You know, so I think it's paying attention to that. Have you noticed over time in your career that your work style has changed or has that pretty much been the same since you were like in college? Oh, no, it's definitely changed. I mean, I know um, when I was like, when I first opened my law firm because of being just such a procrastinator, I was engaging in what I uh, can candidly call it seagull management, where I'd get in there at the last minute, crap all over everything as far as this is all the stuff I need done. And then I'm out the door at my next appointment, you know? And, um, I and that's just never heard that. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, but it's so visual, I will never forget it. Right. And I'm going to seagull management. I got it. Hey, I've worked for some seagull managers, and I've got to right? tell you, it's not good being a managee under a seagull no. manager. No. And Just so that, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, um, and so it was also, you know, stressful because I'm running late, you know, and I'm just like, I'm not articulating what I want done very clearly, clearly because I'm rushing. And then when I would come back from whatever it was court hearing or whatever it might be, then I'd be just looking at work product that wasn't accurate. And then I'd be, you know, frustrated about that because now I had to fix it. And the whole reason I had to fix it is because I didn't take enough time at the front end, you know, to articulate what I really needed, you know, so that when I came back, it was good work product. And so it was just, you know, learning that 
throughout a process of years as far as just understanding that that's not really an effective management style. And that's also not a good communication style. And so if how, I don't contrast to, that with today. Now you're not a single manager. No. So today, I mean, one of the things that I've, I've learned um, and actually it was work, my work experience. I had a few years where I worked in higher education and administration um, taught me, you know, pacing. And it was painful, but boy, was it a much needed le- a lesson, you know, for the, uh, you know, the, 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 the eager attorney who's flying by the seat of her pants. So, um, you know, just learning to pace because I was put in charge of a, a group of people that I had absolutely no authority over, you know, so I had to learn pacing. I had to learn buy-in. I had to learn clear communication so that I could set expectations and then get good work product. Um, but those are lessons that I take with me today and just being able to you know, candidly share those um, has given me the opportunity to be able to share those stories about those experiences which were not good for me and use it to punctuate the importance of you know, articulating what you're looking for asking that person, what have they heard? What feedback do they have? What additional questions do they have? You know, so that when the product is delivered, whatever it is, the deliverable that you've asked for, you're getting what you want. Yep. I, when I, when I'm rushed, like that whole description of rushing in and saying, okay, this is what needs to happen. When that happens, and thankfully it's not that often because I've gotten much better about thinking way out what's coming and what might other people I'm working with have on their plates I know nothing about. Because it's good to think I'm the only one in the world, but that's not it, right? Right. So, but when I when there's a mis when there's a misstep, let's say, I always go, okay, what was my last communication? And I'm really consistent. I put most things in writing for myself, like so I can go back and say, what did we talk about? And I'll look anytime there's like a glitch. I'm going, girl, it was on your end. You did not close that loop. You did not say, by when do you want this or whatever. But it really is. And so I've learned not to jump on someone because first of all, it saves me from apologizing for being a a jerk, right? Instead of saying, okay, how can we do this better? This is what I did. But you guys got to tell me when you don't understand what the heck I'm talking about too, you know? So um, I love right. that whole thing about like pacing and, and communicating, yeah. making sure that's it. So yeah. talk a little bit about um, goals briefly about like, cause you know, there's always this talk about big goals. How do you set goals? What's the path, all of that. And there are a number of different approaches to doing that, Stacy. So when you're working with someone to create a goal, maybe it's one of the gals you're working with, right, to redesign or reinvent themselves and they're setting goals, but they're coming from somewhere else. What are some of the first steps you have people do or think about so they can move on? I think um, one of the first things I, I asked them about is, you know, like, where do you want to end up? You know, like what, what is, you know, like Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind, you know, so where, where do you want to end up? And, and sometimes that, 
that answer isn't necessarily a place. Sometimes it might be a feeling. It might be um, an experience. Um, it might be an interaction. And so just, and, and building on that. And then, you know, asking what do they see as being an obstacle preventing them from getting there? Because then what we start to do is flush out what are already the perceived barriers, which may or may not be accurate, Sarah, but at the same time, it's their perception. And that's what needs to shift, um, not change. I don't like to use the word change, but shift, because that's something that they have to make happen. Um, I can't make that happen for them. I can try to ask questions to maybe illuminate some different options, but it's up to them to, to make that shift if they can. And then when we start to, you know, we, we start to flush out what the obstacles are, then what we're doing is we're, we're, we're articulating, a, you know, starting to articulate a framework, right? Which is what are some potential resistance points that we're gonna come up with? And then we go back to, okay, what's the overall goal? And so what do you think that we need to have in place in order to, to get to that goal? And then we start to, you know, put in what I call, um, you know, check-in points or just, uh, you know, mini goals, if you will, like on, on that road, right? I guess yeah. you would call them like rest stops that you would achieve um, on, on the way to whatever that destination might be, you know? So if it's like, well, I, I you know, I, I want to get certified in change management so that I need to do this. Okay. So where do you want to end up working? You know, and they, they articulate that. So the certification, so let's look at that. Where is it offered? What's the time limits, you know, and just breaking it in there. And then, you know, what are the shifts that need to be to made to scaffold into that whole particular process? And then also get an estimate on how long they think that that would take. Like, how long do you think it would take for you to take that certification? You know, we would need to look at when it's offered because what happens is that, you know, through like basically expanding a decision tree is you're breaking things down into you know subcategories of you know other points that need to be accomplished that are going to feed into that overall process that overall change process um, and so it's going through that and sometimes what will happen is different subcategories might be more expanded than others and so it might take a little bit longer and then starting to build in their places to you know achieve those goals and those subcategories so that you can build momentum because I've found that momentum is so powerful. When somebody feels momentum, then they feel empowered. They feel good. They feel like they're moving forward. They, they feel limitless and they feel like, you know, it's like it just opens up their whole mind and shifts it from a fear-based standpoint into, you know, just it's, it's like a breath and then they can see the possibility. And I think that's what's most important is to get people to see the possibility of what you know, those options could be. As you're talking, you talk about the scaffolding. I have this visual of someone like you know, climbing, handhold climbing on a rock face and all, they just get high enough that they can actually see beyond the horizon. It's like, okay, I know there's more, right? So I'll keep right. going. I'm not giving up. Yes, this is arduous, but I've got these little step, step, next grip, next grip. Um, 
but then you're right all of a sudden you get elevated and then when you get to the top of that you look up and you go oh there's another horizon but right. it's one but it's a landing place right it's just a scaffold so that right. you can see higher and go further so right. i love I really like your visual analogies. They work for me, Stacey. Just want to say, hey, so, okay, I'm imagining there are listeners saying, I need to connect with Stacey. Number one, she's smart. She's really a detailed thinker and, and can help me think through contingencies and risk planning, especially if I'm, you know, need to do that either from a business perspective, website side and content, um, compliance or personal life. So what is the best way for folks to connect with you? And then is there anything special that you have to offer folks? Well, I think for any of your listeners, Sarah, I'd be happy to offer them uh, free 30 minutes with me, you know, just, and I, and I, I think that it's important for, for two reasons. One is, you know, you get an opportunity to, to have a conversation and then we both get, which gives us each an opportunity to determine if it's a good fit, you know? And so hopefully- How do I get that? Yeah. So I would say that the best way to get in touch with me is um, through my, my email address, which is uh, Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y, at stacytermel.com, which is S-T-A-C-E-Y-T-U-R-M-E-L.com. That okay, we'll make sure that's in the me. show notes. And- um, it's so funny because I'm redesigning my website and I haven't made any major changes right now, but I'm thinking, except on the back end, right? Um, the behind the scenes coding, which by the way, I'm not doing, but oh, um, those are, um, that's not my strength. <laughs> All these years I've learned what I can do and what I should do and what I should not do. And I like to understand how things work, but I've learned like many things you should understand and let go. I know, right? Um, it just understanding helps me ask better questions, but I don't need yes. to be tinkering in other people's expertise. So, but you've given me some things to think about today and um, bring back to my team to, to really look at. And I remember working with a, a statewide group of hearing impaired folks who taught me a ton about facilitating and what that looked like. And I thought, yeah, it's similar to you. You don't know what you don't know because you're just are used to right. your own experience. So right. um, thank you for opening my world and I'm sure our listeners' worlds to considering things differently because we take a lot for granted what we're able to do. Um, especially if well, we- Thank you for having me, Sarah. It was great. Yeah. So cool. Thanks, Stacy, And I'm sure we'll be back in touch. All right. Take care, Sarah. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.